Welcome to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time, where we aim to break down barriers, demystify blindness, and promote real and lasting change. Join host David Steinmetz as he connects us with professionals who are making a positive impact in the community. These leaders help empower individuals who are blind or have other disabilities to live a full and inclusive life. Let's lean in as David kicks off today's conversation. Welcome to this episode of Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time. I'm David Steinmetz. This show is really focused on connecting with thought leaders, uh, people in the community, as well as business and organizations that are working to create a full and inclusive life for people who are blind or visually impaired. Oftentimes I find, even when I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, that the expectations for someone who is blind is often very low. In fact, just the other day, I had uh, somebody say to me, you don't look blind. And I'm like, well, I'm not sure what that really looks like. And, you know, the day that I was diagnosed, uh, the doctor asked me what I wanted to do for a career. I told him I was studying criminal justice. And his first response was, there's no blind cops. So I've dealt with that expect that low expectation for a long time. And I often felt that that was the expectation that I was supposed to have even for myself. It wasn't until uh, later on in, in my life that I started to understand blindness, accept it and grow. And this show today is really going to be an exciting show for me. Um, our special guest, Kristen Smedley, founder of Thriving Blind. Kristen, uh, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey, David. Uh, so, so, so glad to be here to with a show talking about changing perceptions of blindness. That is that is my jam, David. That's <laughs> totally, or as we say here in Philly, that's my John. <laughs> um, that is that is what I've dedicated my life to. And I, I want to start out by letting all of your, your listeners know that all the things you're going to hear that I've accomplished and I'm working on and my passion and energy for it, I did not start here. You, know, you mentioned about low expectations of blindness. I had no expectation of blindness. Mm-hmm. We can get into all of that, but I am I'm thrilled to be here to talk about, you know, I went from crying on the couch 22 years ago to writing a best-selling book about thriving with blindness, did a TED Talk, now launched a global membership community to empower tens of thousands and eventually a million other people to have the same mindset of thriving and success that I do. And I got to tell you, I also just returned from Florida hmm. where I dropped my oldest blind son off at his dream career in Disney World and he is having the time of his life. So there you go. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. And congratulations. Uh, <laughs> I've been following you for quite some time and that journey for your son going through, whether it's the high school um, and through college and, and graduating uh, from Penn State. This is amazing that when the supports are in place, the tools for people who are blind vision impaired are in place to succeed, we see those opportunities and people thriving. So congratulations. So let's talk a little bit about Thriving Blind Academy, which is really, like you say, is a community of uh, people and organizations that are dedicated to working on solving the the crisis for people who are blind vision impaired, whether it's uh, in education, Mm-hmm. Uh, also financial uh, and helping people become self-reliant and independent, as well as unemployment. Now, we know that unemployment for people who are blind vision impaired, people with other disabilities is 70%. Uh, we work very hard at, as uh, individuals as we advocate for ourselves or through organizations like yours um, and organization I work for, Arizona Industries for the Blind, to change that fact and move the needle on that unemployment. So uh, it's great to see that Thriving Blind Academy or uh, TBA uh, is out there doing that work as well. So thank you very much for for doing that. Hey, thanks for the work that's going on everywhere to to change us. You know, I'm guessing, David, you know, from seeing all of my social media, the reason that we, uh, the biggest reason we formed this, this, community, this membership academy to empower more people is that Retina International came out with that study finally in, in 2021 of 
$31.7 billion is the financial impact to U.S. and Canada alone of blindness. That's of that's the wow. cost of not thriving, of not succeeding. And, and built in there is mental health issues. You know, addiction is high in a lot of the, the blindness community. Um, unemployment, underemployment. But the biggest thing, and, and you mentioned it in there with some of the stuff you were talking about, David, the biggest thing that I, I really want your, your listeners to, to wrap their heads around is blindness isn't, isn't the burden. Blindness isn't the barrier. And the systems that work with people that are blind, so many of them are so broken, I, I can't even begin to figure out how we would unravel all that. And you mentioned when access is there, when tools are there, the success that's possible, but it only makes it possible right? Mm-hmm. It is that individual. This is what I noticed with the people I've met that are succeeding without sight, watching my boys, and especially being right next to my son for seven days last week, watching him navigate a brand new apartment complex and a brand new office building and team. Mm-hmm. There are certain elements that are the through line for all of these people succeeding without sight. that are the same as people that are succeeding in the world in general. And mm-hmm. that is what we're bringing to this community, because honestly, David, and I'm sure that you know this from people you've talked to in this big community that you've built and been such an, an incredible part of, the world has their bias about blindness, right? I say it's the bias against blindness. But the trouble is those that are blind and visually impaired themselves have been fed this negative narrative for mm-hmm. so long, they believe it. Most of them, not all of them. So we went to the folks that don't believe it carve their own path and say, what are the success elements here in play and how can we put them in play with everybody else? That's the unique thing that we're doing that I have. I've look 22 years I've been in this and hadn't seen that element. That's what we're bringing to the table here. And that's where we're, we're um, meeting some very interesting people and having some, some fun successes with it. That's fantastic. That, and that's so important, right? Is people are people and mm-hmm it's the individual that makes the success, right? You can choose to, whether you have a disability or not, sit on the couch and do nothing to improve yourself. You can uh, get off the couch, go to school, or get, you know, find a career that you are very passionate about. It has nothing to do with the disability. Mm-hmm. And so we look for uh, opportunities to help organizations, help individuals find that that the disability is not the limiting factor in their success. And so yeah. when I'm working with employers or organizations, it's really focusing on them, on how I, as a community public relations manager, have gotten to where I am through hard work and so forth, just like they did to get in the position that they are in. And mm-hmm. those are some of the stigmas I think we have to overcome on a, on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. You think about it, you know, I'm I'm thinking about, (laughs) here's the thing with all the hoopla over Michael graduating Penn State as, as a, as a blind student, two majors, two minors, a certificate in business law. He had so many, he had so many programs. I couldn't even keep track of them. Right. There was so much hoopla that he did that. Not only did he accomplish all of that, he did it in four years and he was a transfer student and he has blindness as an element in there. And I only mention the blindness because the access was denied constantly to the things he needed, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. he actually at one point said to me, he called me, he goes, mom, I'm in the middle of finals week. If you're going to keep tweeting about this and the, and the media is going to keep reaching out to me, you're going to have to schedule a press conference <laughs> because I don't have time for all the, and he <laughs> was completely serious. It was so funny. I said, Michael, it's just that you, you just broke through so many barriers and and it is it is an incredible story that we want out there in the world for people to see that it is the person and the success elements inside that make it work but here's the thing david i'm still getting tons of messages from parents that and and higher ed you know and penn state people saying oh so penn state is the place to go if you're a blind student and i go place is the place to go. There's a bigger place. It all stinks, right? right? It's yeah. all about how we're empowering our kids and our K to 12 programs have a lot of room for improvement in terms of empowering these kids to navigate these systems that are broken, the barriers that are in the way and really design 
the lives according to their dreams. But I, I always say this. Some people are probably thinking, well, that seems impossible. That's a lot of work. Trust me on this one. And, and you're a testament to this too, David, because you're living the life that you want, doing the things you want to do. Mm-hmm. Putting in the work on the front end and teaching the skills and watching the failure and, and then coming up and failing forward instead of failing and being stuck. And all of the, the things that, that can be frustrating in, in parenting a child with a visual impairment, guiding them, not walking them through it, guiding them on this. I would say I was the guide on the side, get my boys what they need and follow their lead, Right. guiding them through all that and watching them develop confidence, more confidence, more confidence, watching them in college now manage these teams of professors and the disabilities office. Like there's, Michael was just at, in his new job at Penn, at Penn state at uh, Disney and his group needed these passes for, for one of the parks or something. And the, and the supervisor, the supervisors couldn't get the passes for another two weeks. And they're like, ah, we got to push this project because Michael goes, hold on a second. (laughs) Gets on the phone with the office. And he went right into that mode of making it work, using Mm -hmm. the charm, addressing what the obstacles were. He gets off the phone. He goes, can anyone give me a ride over to the office? I'm going to pick up our passes. (laughs) (laughs) Problem solver. Look at that. Good for him. Yes. But he's been doing it his His whole whole life. life. You know, he's had to figure things out his whole life. And and if, if people could start seeing that piece of the journey as, as exciting and, and a good friend of mine, Chip Baker says, grow through your go through. If we looked at this journey with blindness like that and all of the edge that it gives us over the regular person, that's where, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about changing perceptions. That's where the yeah. beauty is. And that's where the world opens up. Wow. Yeah. Fantastic. I totally agree. So uh, you mentioned at the top about uh, your son, Michael, and um, we were just talking about as well. How did you learn to advocate for what it is that he needed to be able to thrive, whether it's in uh, education uh, and college, et cetera? Well, I would love to say that I just scoured the internet and figured out what he needed and went after it, but I don't, I don't operate like that. And you have to remember my journey started 22 years ago and my second blind son is 19. I mean, that was, that was two decades ago when there was no Facebook, no Google, None of those things, right? We had like a, there was like a, remember the old listserv, the email Mm. listserv, like, (laughs) whoa, might as well just pop in a cassette tape, Kristen. It was that long ago. So what I ended up doing, this is how my brain works. I, and there's actually, if you've ever read the book, the talent code, I didn't realize that there was science to this, but the way I roll is I needed to find people that were in the success statistics living lives that were exciting them and, and having figured out the things they wanted to do. And I, I needed to find them, get next to them. Mm-hmm. Some of them might say I stalked them <laughs> and, and ask them question after question of what it is that I should be doing for my boys. And what I, what it's, it's a beautiful journey when you look back at it. it. There's a lot of ugly moments I'm not proud of, but when I look back and see how the universe put people in my path right when I needed them. And I found in the first conference that I ever went to for blindness, um, and I talk about it in, in Thriving Blind, the book, I met a mom whose son was a speaker at the conference, totally blind and in his early 20s. And he was hilarious and charismatic. And I went to her. First, my first question to her, though, I'm not very proud of, but my first question was, when did you stop crying every day? I was still in the praying blindness away mm-hmm. mode. Mm-hmm. Um, And she guided me with very simple things like saying middle school was going to be the worst years of my life, not just because it was middle school, but a layer of blindness was going to be really, really tough. Mm -hmm. I was prepared. I was prepared for it to be uh, excruciating and it wasn't as bad as, as I had prepared for. But I found people one step ahead of me, five steps ahead of me, Eric Weimayer on the top of Everest for heaven's sake, all of those people, different pieces of their journey and ask them, what, what is it that I need to, to get in the hands of my boys? I even, one of Michael's friends is a, is a totally blind guy. That's two years older than him. And God bless Rocco Fiorentino because every IEP meeting at the school district, every year I'd call Rocco, Rocco, he's real big on technology and music, just like Michael. I'm like, Rocco, what should I be asking for 
in, in the IEP meeting. And he's like, they're going to tell you that you want this Braille ta- note taker and it sucks. Get this one. Like, that's how I do my research, right? Real life. What are the real things that they need? And then that that's honestly how I ended up with, I had all this knowledge and this network and my boys were soaring in middle school and high school. And I looked at myself in the mirror one day and I was kind of like, Hey, you done good here. Like, you know, that next, what are we going to work on now? And then I mm-hmm. thought, oh my gosh, who am I? Who am I to sit on all of this? All these moms are still getting that diagnosis and sitting on that couch crying mm-hmm. and, and we're not making any progress. That's also when I started finding out about the 70% unemployment rate and the low graduation rates. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, how can you, how can you get the word out in a big way? The Ted talk was, was the best way in 2017 with a book right on top of it. And I have, to, I have to be honest, David, there are still elementary English teachers whose classes I was in that need oxygen over the fact that Kristen's really <laughs> shut up long enough to write a book. Cause I was always given speeches instead of writing. Sure, sure. So if I could put a book together, ladies and gentlemen, you can too. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so, that's funny. Very funny. So part of the things that, that I'm hearing coming from you, right, is is the advocacy, taking, building a network of, of people that have been through the experience and helping, you know, guiding, right, by the side, um, your kids or your, your network of people experiencing similar situations. What could be some other advice that you're giving or how, how are you helping people change in terms of that 70% unemployment? You know, on right on our thrivingblindacademy.org site, it says life best lived is life by design. And the banner on every single page says thriving begins with you. It is, it is, it is our, our biggest obstacle and our biggest goal to change the minds of the individuals in this community to stop listening to that negative narrative that the world has been putting in place and to create their own story. I mean, it is, it's the epitome of the hero's journey, right? That Joseph Campbell uh, published out there that, that we are simply the guides, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not the hero that I'm this mom that, that raised these kids. My kids are their own heroes and everyone in the blind community that comes to us, it's about guiding them, having them go and get the tools. they need. I'm not, I'm not your tool girl. My boys will tell you, I am terrible with even remembering the names of the canes and who's is who's and how high it should be. And I'm like that. I put that on them years ago. Hmm. There's other phenomenal organizations that will get the tools and we will, you know, help direct people to that. But we're, we're the ones that say, you know, once you have, get access to those tools. And when you have the tools you need, we're, we're the, the, the mental part of it, the just guiding on the side so that the person can rise to their own destiny, their own dreams. And if I could for one second address the parents that are raising blind kids, my biggest message in this community to the parents, and I say this with all of the love in my heart because I started this journey so poorly. The reason I crashed to the floor and I spent three and a half years praying blindness away and angry that it was still there in the morning is the fact that I had my dreams for my kids. And the biggest gift that I've gotten from blindness is that it eliminated my dreams. It completely extinguished them. Mm -hmm. And my boys were able to have their own dreams. I didn't know what they were going to do. So I said to them, you, what, what interests you? What would you like to figure out? What can, who can I put you next to that you wouldn't like to know more about? (laughs) I always joke with Eric Weimer, please don't answer the phone when my boys call you. (laughs) I do not want to be kayaking down the Grand Canyon. Thank you very much. But I say to all parents, if we would take our dreams, I I have parents envision a backpack, a kid walking with a a school backpack, right? They've got their own dreams in there. When you're adding the bricks of your parents' dreams for you, it's too heavy. It's too heavy. You take your dreams off, let them go after them, get them what they need, follow their lead, and then watching the soaring. Do you think I ever could have dreamed that Michael would be in Disney World right now working on the sound systems for the parades and the show? No, no, I never would have thought that. He's gone after his own dreams. (laughs) And my Mitchell is a star radio show host 
on his college campus. I never would have dreamed that he'd be the the um, Friday night rush hour show country music redneck rush hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing where they bring you if you give them the space and the grace to figure it out. That's so, and that just parenting 101 right is is to and and same thing with, with disabilities is is seeing the whole person allowing people to grow allowing that individual to to explore uh sometimes you know my my kids um all grown and sometimes still have setback but it's something that they can learn from and it's something that they have to learn to accept and say that this didn't work out the way i expected it to or whatever it is and find a way to uh, achieve the things that they want to achieve. And mm-hmm. when you bring in a disability blindness, then there's an added element. And so typically uh, people who are blind vision impaired, you'll see our, you know, we talked at the beginning, you know, problem solvers is how do we assess the situation, develop a plan, get the tools and do what you have to do to get the job done. Yeah. And, and honestly, there's, there's such an element of creativity and, and my boys have such an element of fun mm-hmm. because it just breaks that barrier right away. Mm-hmm. Wait, for people that, that, that need a concrete, practical, everyone can relate to this one. My Michael, when he was in high school, refused to take the school bus as a junior and senior. He was like, it's not cool. Mm-hmm. And now he could have sat and sulked and kicked the tires over the fact that he did could not have a driver's license, right? Mm-hmm. So what does my Michael do? He gets very creative. There were some parents that were calling me. They weren't happy about this, but too bad. At our high school, it looked like a junior college. It is, so, my daughter's still there. It is so big, it's ridiculous. And the parking lot for students is so far down the hill, it's obnoxious. However, there's an honors lot right next to the front door if you hit a certain GPA, you had to be a very high GPA, you got access to that honor slot. So Michael, this is when someone said to him, you should go into law, finds a loophole. He looks in all the requirements for the honor slot and finds that you had to have a certain GPA. He had it. You had to pay 50 bucks. He had that and something else. It never said you had to see and you had to be a licensed driver to get the parking pass, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So what does Michael do? There I am standing in the line at school to get the parking pass. He walks up with his cane. You know, the secretary pulled me aside and she said, Kristen, is he going to drive the car? I go, no. (laughs) And she said, well, he figures everything else out. I thought you figured this out too. (laughs) So Michael, then he gets the parking pass. He texts all the kids that he knew didn't make it for the GPA. And he says, who wants to drive me to school every day? And he had a list. This is the other part of, of how problem solving and planning ahead my guys are and the and so many in the blind community are he had a list of people his deal was he had monday through friday certain drivers you were allowed to be late once <laughs> and then you were cut from the list and he had an order that as soon as you were cut he had somebody else fill in your slot okay. and it was cutthroat to get on michael's list to get in that honors lot <laughs> it was and he never took the bus junior and senior year wow. there you go there you go that's that's amazing <laughs> that's creativity, problem solving, and knowing what you what you want and how to go after it and get it. Yep. Very motivated young man. <laughs> so you mentioned at the top of the show about the $31 billion cost to the economy or burden to the economy by have, uh, people who are blind, vision impaired, who are unemployed or underemployed. Can you maybe dig a little bit deeper into that and, and what are some of the causes? What can we do to help people who are blind? Um, and what you're doing with uh, TBA to help people who are blind be successful and uh, live their, their full life? So it's actually one of the three pillars. Well, there's a fourth pillar developing that we're not we're not um, revealing just yet. But one of the main pillars of Thriving Blind Academy is Thriving Blind in Business, and it addresses people that look. We realized, and uh, and I have proof of it in my home. I have two blind children, and they could not be more different. I mean, like I, sometimes I'm like, you have the same genetics, right? How mm-hmm. can you be this different? So we realize that there are blind and visually impaired individuals that that want to be in the corporate environment. 
Um, some want to, their dream is to start a business, you know, whatever, wherever they are on the spectrum of that, our thing is our, we have an online program and then this element of coaching and community that, and it's not a one-time thing. Like I've done online summits. I wrote the book, did the Ted talk. That's wonderful, but you can't just inspire once and expect action and success, right? So this is a, uh, right now we have weekly Zoom calls with the entire membership, and then it'll break off into thriving blind and business transitions. But in terms of just employment, to answer your question, our thing is empowering folks to, to get off of disability, get off of these systems that are so broken, design exactly what it is, the careers that they want to be in. And then we have partnerships that we're kind of like the feeder program, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with Mike Hess with uh, Blind Institute of Technology. Mm-hmm. We're partnering with him. You know, he's placing, if if a, a blind or visually impaired person wants to be in a C-suite job, he's your guy. He works with major corporations, has had tremendous success, and we're actually partnering with him and Salesforce now. Salesforce just uh, gave us the funding to do a short film that we fully into. I mean, how do you get a story out there and, and change perceptions in a big way? You go right through Hollywood, right? Absolutely. So we're putting this super cool short film together as a teaser to the main thing that we're going to do later. Um, to show the world that that um, blindness isn't the barrier. Once that reasonable accommodation is there, mm-hmm. then it's up to it's up to the blind individual. And to also say, hey, of all things being equal, a candidate for a job that is blind or visually impaired has an edge over every other candidate in that pool for the things that we've been talking about, mm-hmm. right? And Companies that have that person with that edge on their team have the competitive edge over other companies because of all those things. Those are the kinds of things that we talk about in Thriving Blind Academy. Not the, uh, it's not a support group. It's not a, you know, come and, and, you know, bitch and ditch and get out of here. That's not what it is. It is, we, we dive into these principles of success and what they look like in the general public and then drill it down into the specifics of living, you know, practicality with blindness and low vision. For one thing, like we're going to be doing this thing, Charlie and I, Charlie Collins is my partner in this, who is is legally blind himself and is a very successful business person. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we're going to do is with my son, Mitchell, we're doing this uh, live coaching thing in a couple of weeks on, on Facebook, and then we'll have it on YouTube for everybody to see. Mitch is was furious that a convenience store out here on the East Coast, we have Wawa, Anyone listening that knows Wawa is cheering. It's a phenomenal convenience store. Mitch wanted to work there this summer. And they said that they explored opportunities and they didn't think it was going to work out for a blind candidate. And he was furious. Now, many people would go lawsuit, call the disability attorney, right? And Charlie and I say, let's sit and have a conversation about the fact of, is that really a job where you could really be successful and thrive and be doing something you really want to do when you have to, you know, how much, how much are they going to have to change things? How many reasonable accommodations? We have the conversations about what is actually going to help you thrive and be Mm -hmm. successful as opposed to just going to the the convenience store down the street, knocking on the door, they say no, and then you sue them. That's not our style, Mm -hmm. right? So we want Mitch and then we want everybody else to really think through what is not just reasonable, what, what is really going to make you light up and feel successful and go after that? Because as you know, David, that is where you get the job retention. Mm-hmm. That's where you have the success because retention is the other part of the problem, right? They right. get in there. It's not right for them. They're banging their head against the wall. They're frustrated. And in, within a year, they're applying for disability again. Mm-hmm. Those conversations I have to happen, I think, early. And it sounds like that's what your organization is doing and your community and conversations you're having with, whether it's with parents or individuals who are blind about that realistic, finding a realistic career or job, right? And the systems, whether it's a state vocation rehabilitation or other programs that help people who are blind, vision impaired with disabilities find employment or become career ready is having those realistic conversations that going to truck driving school as a person who's blind is probably not a good idea versus saying, yes, okay, that's fine. Or saying, you know, those low expectation type jobs that we're just going to push you or direct you into that position and you should be happy that you have a job. Yeah. 
Yeah. And honestly, if, if working at Wawa was Mitchell's passion and he's been planning it his whole life, he would have, he would have had a whole different conversation with that person. He would have said, here's what I know I'd be able to do. And here's how I'm Mm going to do it. And it would have went completely different, but that's not, you know, that's the conversation we're going to have with him. Explore that, get in depth with that. What is it that you really want to do? I mean, Michael was, was pursuing a, um, uh, Disney was his number one. His number two was to be on tour with a, with a famous band. Hmm. Right. And hmm. the, and the guy calls and, and he calls his professor and says, how would that work? We are going to different venues all the time staying in hotels. Like how would it work? <laughs> his, his professor said, <laughs> trust me, I have no idea, but he will hmm. make it work because he's passionate about it and he will figure it out. Mm-hmm. Now, if Mitchell's that passionate about Wawa, Wonderful. He'll figure it out. But those that that's the way that we want people to look at. That's the perception coming from the blind individual themselves that they really got to get in check and say, what is it I really want to do? Let me ask the right questions and let me let me make this partnership right. work because it's a partnership with an employer. Absolutely. And and that's I think some of the big, biggest challenge is having those conversations with the employer after graduating college and the challenges mm-hmm. I had and the interviewing process from sending out resumes and so forth to phone interviews and in-person interviews is when the the topic of blindness and I walk in and I've got a guide dog or a cane and there's Mm -hmm. the big red flag and that fear unknown. And I always try to help them understand that my resume stood out above the other resumes and my qualifications got me here across the desk from you let's have that conversation and and demonstrate whether it's using uh, my computer to take notes or to pull up, you know, information about the, the, the research that I've done and demonstrate that I am ready I ha- and I can bring value to your organization through my experiences, uh, my education and my business background. And so, yeah. you know, that those are some of the, the things that I find that, like you say, highly successful people who are blind, vision impaired, find those ways to educate through advocate advocate for themselves. Yeah, well, that's exactly the um, the principles in there that that we teach, coach, and are the through line in Thriving Blind Academy. The whole take one hundred percent responsibility for your success in life, right? Mm-hmm. Believe in yourself, believe it's possible. If you don't believe it's possible, of course you're going to sit there and ha- and they say, "Oh, well, you know, you're not as qualified as we thought." Or they'll have every possible thing. And when you do believe that you that is the job for you, it's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. You come into it with a different energy. You know, speaking of the disclose and not disclose, my, I always say I'm coming back in my next life as Michael. I swear <laughs> to God, the things that come along for him, it's just, and his friends all say the same thing. And I said, he creates his own luck in this world. He he has always looked at every day as an opportunity for the most extraordinary things to happen. And he he attracts all of it. So I said to him, of course, you have the luck that you are in job hunting at a time when everything is on Zoom. So there is no, do you disclose or not disclose? He didn't have to because he knows how to look exactly. These were things I worked on. Oh my gosh, David, when he was little, looking straight at somebody, Mm -hmm. putting your hand out to shake their hand first so that it's not fumbling. All those little things. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, my life's work is culminating in a Zoom room. (laughs) You don't have to disclose. You can show up in Disney World on day one at the office and they will have no idea, right? So he was like, mom, I don't think I'm going back and forth because I don't know that that's fair and I don't want to get hired for something and they have a a bias against me. So for days, he's back and forth, right? So Mm -hmm. I said to him the morning of the interview, it was the interview to see if he was going to get before the the final panel. Okay. And it was this one person. And I said, so what are you going to do? And he said, I haven't figured it out yet. I'm going to class and then I'm going to have the interview and I'll let you know. So he gets on the phone with me afterwards and he says, well, I made her cry. And I was like, well, what is that about? I'm like, what did you do? Yell at her? Did you get into an argument about blindness? You know, and he was like, relax. He said, they went through all the technical questions and he was of course, highly qualified. Penn state prepared him very well. Then it came to, and I found out later from other candidates that I met down there, all new hires, they all asked, very similar questions. And it was relating to his passion for Disney and why Disney, like they only want people that are like over the moon 
for Disney. He tells her this story about when he grew up, we used to go to Disney World every year. And when even when he was in high school and went with his senior class trip, he was always able to engage in conversations about the rides and the shows and the parks with everybody because Disney gave him a unique experience, mm -hmm. just like everybody else, even though he can't see. Then he adds this layer or two of, however, there are certain things that would enhance this, not just for me, but for everyone that has unique abilities, disabilities, all the things, makes it this whole inclusive thing with his idea of what he wants to do. <laughs> he says, she starts crying and she said, I have never heard a passion so deep and so wonderful, you know? So she goes through the whole thing. So he stops talking. I go, so what you're saying is you disclosed. <laughs> <laughs> he said, yes, I did. Yeah. And then he got into the final round and he was the, they were only hiring one sound engineer out of the thousands of people that applied wow. and he got it. Good for him. That That's amazing. And you know, that's what is so, I find amazing about people uh, who are blind and people in general is those who feel and have one, you know, the passion for something and the, and the desires to, to succeed and, and strive to get the things that they want. Mm -hmm. But also the fact that they can articulate, communicate in a way that helps others become more comfortable, get over a stigma, whatever, whatever that is, and normalize what blindness is and how it can help the community, a partner, whoever it is to, uh, for example, Disney have a better experience. So that diversity, whether it's an, it's an employer brings a whole new level growth for the organization. And that's really what, uh, you know, I, I hear is happening with Michael and, and Disney and other organizations that are focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. We need to make sure that we include uh, people with disabilities and accessibility in those conversations as well. Yeah. You know, I'm even sitting here thinking about for another completely different example of what you're, you're, um, eloquently saying is my Mitch, you know, he's got that radio show, right? He's mm -hmm. so good on the radio that the, the, the radio station was like, he goes, I want more hours. And they were like, Hey, then he's read the news. He ends up now my boys play baseball, regular baseball with just two slight accommodations. And they both were on championship teams growing up here in our town in little league. Mitchell is He's so passionate about baseball that my daughter and I are like running in the opposite direction today because he can't, we can't find his one blue Philly shirt <laughs> that when there's a winning streak, he has to wear it and it continues. And he is like dead set on this. But anyway, so he ends up, they needed a second announcer for a baseball game for the college baseball game. Right. So they right. asked him, they're like, well, you're fine on the radio. Do you think you could do this? And it's just the color. His friend was going to do all of the play by play. Mm -hmm. Well, Mitch knows baseball. He knows he's listened to radio announcers that that has been his his mechanism for for the Eagles games, the Phillies games. So he knows what a good what good information is that a listener wants to hear. I'm listening to him from my home. Call this, you know, do this hmm. baseball game. He also wanted to be a weatherman when he was young. He's as there's gaps in the in stuff that happens. Somebody got hurt, whatever. He's talking about the unique weather they were experiencing, how that impacts a baseball player in the different <laughs> positions. All of these things that it was the most entertaining baseball game. He even looked up. He's got a very good memory. He looked up the stats of when these teams played each other before, mm -hmm. went through all the stats. You know, it was hilarious. And then there's this one point where there all this chaos happened. There was a guy on first. There's a hit. It's chaotic. They're trying to figure it out. And then they finally figure the whole thing out. And the guy's calling it. So and I'm sitting there thinking, well, where'd the guy that was on first end up? You know, <laughs> so Mitchell goes to his buddy, yo, Josh. You're our eyes here today. Where's the guy that was on first? <laughs> Josh is like, oh, I'm sorry. He ended up on third. Like, it was so, but he puts, he loves it and he puts his passion in it. And he, he was absolutely phenomenal. And, and to your point of people that succeed without sight, they have that passion. They know what it is that they want to go after and they make it happen. But I will also say that I am certain along their journey, someone in their life or they themselves somehow realized that they weren't going to believe the negative narrative mm -hmm. 
They were going to have, I call them extraordinary expectations. It's not high expectations. It's out of the ordinary, extraordinary expectations. If the world ordinarily expects that a blind kid will only achieve 70% of a sighted kid, well, that's going to happen. I said, let's do things out of the ordinary. Let's be the weird ones, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, so so true. And it's great that here in your family, uh, your kids who are thriving and, and not allowing their vision impairments to limit whatever it is that they want to do. And it's, yeah. uh, you know, demonstrating it, living it. And now through Thriving Blind Academy, uh, sharing it um, and being able to work with other families, other pe- individuals that can help uh, people who are blind overcome those those negative barriers, right? And the doctor tells me you can't be a police officer, have a nice life, right? And kicks you out the door. And you're sitting there going, okay, there's something negative to this. And for a Mm -hmm. long time, even my own family couldn't use the word blind. They they would come up with every other type of word to say that I couldn't see. And it's, you have to be comfortable to say and have conversations that say, you know, just because I can't see doesn't mean I can't do. And that's how, um, you know, I'm educating myself, my family and and the community by having the, these conversations. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, and uh, we actually have Thriving Blind. The children's book is coming out and the title will be uh, What I Can Be Is Up To Me. It mm. really is a personal journey and, 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 you know, Kristen Smedley and Charlie Collins and Thriving Blind Academy and all of our mentors are simply there to, to empower these people to realize that they have it inside of them to do the things that they want to do and not believe negative narratives and work within their own success strategies and systems that are in place um, have their own extraordinary expectations and go after the lives of their dreams. And it is, it is, I got to tell you, Steve, it's like, you know, when you have something that you really want to do and it's like, oh my God, but it's, I need another seven hours every day. So I'm, I'm like down to, I, my alarm now goes off a quarter to five in the morning <laughs> so I can get it all in, but it is the most exciting work. And I, I keep saying to my boys, I said to Michael, when I, when I left Orlando and he's loving his job, I said, thank God, because you're my first best case study. <laughs> if you would have blown this up, you would have blown up the whole mission. He's like, thanks mom. No pressure. <laughs> right. No pressure at all. No, it's just, I know so many people and I, I know that you do too, because your network is big that are in the success statistics. And there's just a few tweaks that we need to make for other people to join this as Mm -hmm. well. And, and, um, you know, like Mike Hess says, he, or he's employed, you know, hundreds of people in the past couple of years after this short film, the way that we're doing stuff with the Academy, we're looking at 5,000 to be employed right after that, you know, like like on this massive scale, because it's time, it's time. And I think that, you know, even though these have been a very tough couple of years, there has been some beautiful things that have been able to happen. And, um, people's minds are open now to different points of view Mm -hmm. and different perceptions. And now is the time to convince not just the world, but the individuals that what they can be is really up to them. Very true. And as we look at, you know, technology advances and using Zoom like we are today and connecting uh, here in Arizona to Pennsylvania and having the opportunity to to do that or to work remotely um, and remove some of the other barriers, whether it's transportation and things like that, um, that allows people to be able to achieve their their dream and you know they have this whole workforce that uh, travels the world and logs in remotely and and uh, you know do what you want to do and yeah. so as the business world and uh, looks at accessibility building those features into the technology really it's, it's really unlimited in terms of what careers and pathways that people who are blind can go into it's just setting that mindset as, as you talk about and um, not listening to the, to the negative tones or voices that are coming through from, from many angles and, and just doing it your way. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, we're, we're changing like you are the perception that the rest of the world has. I mean, my goal is 
that people are going to are going to suddenly realize, wait a minute, if I don't have a blind person on my team, I kind of suck. Like we need them. We mm. need them to help us because that, that's the way my it's just so funny because that's the way my town looks at my kids like, oh, they always wanted my boys on not only their sports teams, but especially their academic teams, you know, and then they wanted them, Michael, in, in their band. And because of all the unique, incredible skills that they mm-hmm. had, they were like, oh, man, you've got to get the Smedleys on your team. <laughs> and then my kids are like, what do you mean the rest of the world doesn't see it that way? I'm right. like, oh, we got some work to do. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and I, you know, I smile and I, and I laugh and I joke a lot, but, and, and I will be honest, I said, I didn't start this journey very well. And there are days like I had in, in Orlando last week, transitions are tough for me when you're back out in that real world. And you, I watch these people, one woman, her job was accessibility for accommodations and she was crap at it. She was horrible. She didn't do mm-hmm. anything she was supposed to do. I, look, as a mom, I wanted to leap over that counter and take care of her, right? <laughs> and as a Philly mom, the security guard that got in my way, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> but I have to realize there, there are days when I'm like, God, when you have one person after the other that doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. But what I also learned is I watched my son, Michael, and what I thought was a look of frustration on his face, what I realized after a day and a half of him being frustrated with me is that he pauses in situations like that. I've noticed he gets he gets as far as he can with a person, what they're capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And then he pauses and he figures out where to go from there. He doesn't do what I do and stand there furious that right. that person just stinks, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, what is that going to do for me? I've gotten as far as I can with her. And now I'm going to solve it in this way on my own. And it's it was an incredible life lesson to watch. Um, and I hope that people that are listening can take that in that the world constantly will throw barriers, no matter what it is. I'm a single mom. Holy smokes, the barriers that come in the way of the things that I'm trying to get done, right? Mm-hmm. There's constantly barriers. But when you pause, take it, go as far as you can with something, and then do your pivot, figure out if you have to take a step back sideways around it. Um, it's a lot more productive than, than plotting how you're going to attack them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, don't, I don't encourage that because that no, gets you nowhere. <laughs> no, no. It's so true. It it's it it can be difficult and challenging at times to uh, to hold back a little bit, right? The whether it's people gawking and staring as you know I'm out with my family, or uh, the comment of "Well, you don't look blind," and trying to mm-hmm. connect with people on a level that either they'll understand, uh, and and they may never uh, yeah. uh, be able to get that concept out of their head as someone who's blind navigate around their own home and outside their own home without, you know, a cane and, and, you know, versus, you know, being lost and looking whatever you look like. And so it, it, sometimes it gets that challenge, but you have to step back and look and go one, that's their problem for my thinking is that's their problem Two, I'm still going to do what it is that I want to do in terms of whether it's going someplace or, uh, you know, what, career or whatever it may be, is having that philosophy that I can try and change someone's perception through my one conversation at a time, Mm -hmm. or I can continue to move on to the next person and do the things that make me happy and and not focus on those barriers. But I can do understand it does get challenging at times, frustrating. You go, man, I I don't get it. Why do people yeah. feel or think this way or, or why are they doing this? So I know I, it's like, I you just want to turn around and go, you poor soul that you are so uneducated. Yeah. Like how, how could you be with you live in a box? But right. you know, my first post on social media that ever went viral was the, I had a picture of the white cane and I did a story about when that was the hardest thing for me. When my boys had canes, when they were young, especially in Disney world, People stared constantly and it got like, even my daughter was like, oh my gosh, everybody is staring. They're jumping out of the way. They keep staring at this thing with this look on their face. And that was really hard for me. Mm -hmm. And then I realized what that tool did for my boys when Michael was able to go with his school over to England and, and he's traveled on his own several times across the United States and watching him, you know, college campuses, now Disney World. And my post said, you know what? I realized that that cane, that tool is confidence, Mm -hmm. independence, success. It's all the things. So then I said, by the end of it, go right ahead and stare at it because you are looking at Mm -hmm. success, 
confidence. You know, it's flipping that perspective, that right. perception of it, like go right ahead and stare at us. Yup. Mm-hmm. We are confident, independent, and successful. Yeah. Um, but it was a journey. It was a journey to get there. Awesome. And that's so true. It's that, that feeling of the cane or guide dog, whatever is that independent. Mm-hmm. And how that tool is just a tool, just like their car or whatever else that, that device is to help uh, you live a full and inclusive life. We just use a cane to do that as well, or part of our life. So mm-hmm. we're ra- running up to our uh, clock here. So, uh, Kristen, let's talk about how do people will find you out there in the big world? <laughs> Well, the big world is really kind of small when you think about it. I am uh, the easiest way to get me is thrivingblindacademy.org. You can also see everything I do at kristensmedley.com. And I'm, I say I'm Kristen with two eyes. I'm an IN hmm. um, at kristensmedley.com. But I welcome everybody to check out thrivingblindacademy.org. My email is kristen at thrivingblindacademy.org. And, um, and consider joining the community because as much as you know, we, we do talk about getting out there in the regular world and doing your thing, it is, I've watched, I've watched the peace and the fun that my boys and others have when they are in a community of the blind and visually impaired, and they can kind of take a collective breath and say, how about those weird sighted people that still don't get it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we all learn from each other in this community, and I learn stuff every week in our Zoom calls, and not just as a mom of, of blind kids, as a, as a woman in the world um, facing challenges it's a very inspirational week. And also, if you go to um, YouTube, we have a, a channel called Success Ability, all one word, where we dive into success principles and how they relate very practically to coming up against challenges as a blind or visually impaired person. Charlie and I have these conversations and, and he's got some wild things on his playlist of riding a bike, electric bike through town. There's a motorcycle one coming that gave me a heart attack. But uh, Charlie is the adventurer, mm-hmm. right? I'm the boring one in, mm-hmm. in Thriving Blind Academy, but definitely check us out. We'd love to have you in the community. Awesome. Thank you very much, Kristen. And I want to thank uh, Phoenix Business Radio X for uh, helping me get this show produced and out there to the world. I want to thank Arizona Industries for the Blind for their sponsorship, as well as uh, Nerdery. So this show, as I mentioned at the top, is really about engaging with thought leaders and those in the community to help people who are blind and vision impaired live a full and inclusive life. And I think this show goes, today's show reiterates that with the right training, the right technology, let's get that word Mm -hmm. out, (laughs) and the right attitude, uh, people who are blind can be successful in life and at work. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time with your host, David Steinmetz. Be sure to subscribe to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time on your favorite podcast platform and tune in live on Phoenix Business Radio X every third Friday at 1 p.m. We hope you feel inspired by today's conversation and maybe we've even sparked a new idea or opportunity. 